Tēnā koutou. You're listening to a Tātai Ahorau Core Education Podcast. Atena tato katoa ko hikurangi te maunga, ko waipute au ko Ngāti Proutse iwi ko Kes Tawhiwhirangi Ahau, te tahi kaimahi nō te kamupine o Tātai Ahorau Co-Education. I am privileged enough to be sitting in a wonderfully cute little caravan at the Dew Drop Conference Centre in Manukau, Tamaki Makoto, and I have this uh, opportunity to be spending time with the fabulous, yes I'm a fan, fabulous Derek Wenmuth, one of three directors that brought Tātai Ahoro co-education to us here in Aotearoa. So I have a couple of questions uh, for you, Derek. Thank you for your time. Oh, kia ora. Kia. Always lovely to spend yeah. time in your company. Noreira, here's our first question for you. What do you see as the most positive recent changes to the New Zealand curriculum? And how do you see this positively affecting Aotearoa's akonga? Oh, there's a question that could take many, many hours, really. I guess if I was speaking to someone out of the ministry, the leading question would be, well, of course, it's you know, Aotearoa's New Zealand histories, mm. that sort of thing. And in actual fact, that's probably what I would say anyway. I think I'd, I'd take a step before, though, we get to, to what's changing in the mm. curriculum, because I think the changes in the curriculum are a response to a more fundamental shift that's been happening for a while in both New Zealand education but globally and that's that shift toward putting the learner at the centre of things. The understanding that actually the students that we have in our classrooms aren't just economic units that we have to prepare for the world ahead in terms of employment, in terms of economic, they're actually unique individuals with their own skills, talents, interests and so forth. So when when you think about what's happening in the curriculum Really, that's one of the things that's shaping our view of what curriculum is and the idea that the one-size-fits-all kind of sausage factory view of education that perhaps existed certainly when I was at school is no longer relevant because the idea that two things are at play really. One is that we've recognised that kids, learners are unique individuals, as I say, with their own story, their own history, their own talents, gifts, aspirations, all that sort of thing. But the other thing is that the world that we're preparing for them for is no longer that world of sameness, where we can guarantee the job that they'll go into and the skills that they'll need. So there's that great uncertainty that lies ahead, and perhaps more than ever before, that uncertainty is compounded because of the actions of those of us who have been alive in the last 50 years particularly, where the future of that world is going to take quite a bit of remediation as well. There are going to be complex issues and problems that our tamariki are going to have to face that we never had to think about. So when we think of curriculum and we think of what's advancing in the curriculum, that's what I think we need to be cognizant of. So we take New Zealand histories, for example, which I think is is a really significant shift forward, it's in response really to that understanding that we all have our own story, that we're not all just out of the same box. We have unique 
histories and backgrounds that are told through our own ancestry, our own background. And in fact, the way I tell my story is going to be different from how you tell your story. And so part of what we need to understand is how do we reconcile those differences and conflicts? Those are the, those are the skills that we need to be learning. But then you follow through and you understand that that's reflected in things like science education where for instance there's a big discussion going on about well what actually is science knowledge what is knowledge in general are there different ways of approaching what we take for granted as in, as the natural world and we apply western scientific knowledge that and discover oh other cultures have different ways of interpreting what they see and the knowledge that comes so there's a long convoluted answer i know love it though but it's love it, it is it's, it's, that question really triggers all of those thoughts in my mind. You can't divorce that and just say, mm. oh, we've got a wonderful thing happening now with the understand, no, no do mm. kind of framework. Mm. Yes, that's helpful, but there's, there's layers and layers behind it. As we come to the, towards the end of day two of uh, ULEARN 23, you know, we've been privileged enough to have three fabulous, I believe, keynotes in front of us. I wonder, as I mention each of those three, whether there is a something that comes to mind for you that they left you with or had a bit of an imprint on your thinking and wondering about going forward. So if I was to mention Dave Lartelli, for example, is there anything that's coming to mind particularly? Well, let's, let's come back to Dave, but go to your first question. Was there anything that gelled between them? And, you know, I'd, I'd agree. They've been, they've been stunning for the way that they provoke thought and they provoke response. And, you know, tomorrow's going to be a big disappointment for people, I guess. But... <laughs> The, I don't the think one so. thing the one thing that if you if you reflect on how each of them approached their their presentation, they started with a story of who they were and the influences that they had on their lives both in school and out of school. And you understand through story how incredibly diverse everyone's experience is that has led them to the place that mm. they are. Now the three people we happen to have heard all talk of a story that started actually in a place that we might talk about in terms of poverty, of, of understanding ideas, opportunity. They, they were disadvantaged in various ways and yet somehow have succeeded. So that's the other layer of the story then, is to say, what are the things that happened for them that perhaps aren't happening for a number of other tamariki mm. in our schools? And what could we do that would actually shift the experience of those people so that they could experience what those three speakers did in terms of realizing a potential that laid inside them? I mean, two of them spoke about parents in prison and going and almost destined, you would think, for a life that would follow that. But both managed to break free, free from that. What was it that changed? And I thought yeah, Stacy's comment to Pam this afternoon was a classic example right of here we are here's someone who's another story another journey and acknowledging the kindness shown mm. by a teacher the memory wasn't about what you taught and how you taught it it was about who you were as mm. a person to me and so i think if i'm going to go away with a with a high level thing that would be it and that would be the thing that i'd want to pass on to my kids to my grandkids, that, that understanding, that's the world we mm. want. I must admit what uh, came to mind for me with Panya Newton in particular was she reinforced for me anyway this 
great need for all schools to connect, and they, they are, they're trying their damnedest mm. to do that, and to make sure that they have accurate and true stories going forward. So I think those schools that are local to where she's situated are going to be incredibly privileged with the stories they get from them. I agree, agree. What does education as a fundamental right for all mean in today's educational landscape? Oh. So it's an interesting question, you know, because it wasn't that long ago that education wasn't seen as a fundamental mm. right. And, and yet through history, we've had really key people who have identified education as being the, the liberatory kind of opportunity. You go back to not you know that long ago, you've got um, Paulo Friere, for example, talking about you know, the emancipation that can occur when you have an opportunity to be educated. So I think when you ask that question about being a human right, it's a human right because we live in a world where access to knowledge, to ideas, to understand, and to stories mm. that inform those things, no one should be denied those things because those are the things that allow us to be active as citizens in the world together from whatever background, culture, and so forth we are working together for the future of our planet and our survival but also for the celebration of the diversity mm. that makes us who we are mm. right so i think it's interesting when you think about what's happening with the united nations sustainable development goals that notion of education being a fundamental human right and you start then to say well in new zealand we've had you know, education, open, free and available and all sort of thing for ages. And then you start to hear the stories where there are still places in the world where education opportunities are denied particular groups in society, whether they are the, the poor and the ones who can't mm. afford to get it, or cultures where women and girls just are excluded entirely. You see the impact of that imbalance because there you've got people with the same potential as you and I being denied the opportunity to see that foster and flourish and develop. Tēnā koutou. You've been listening to a Tātai Ahorau Core Education podcast. Mm-hmm.